Welcome to Humanity Shines with Shelly Nagel. This podcast features people from all walks of life, their ups and downs, and what inspires them. Today, we have Tiffany Overcash joining us from Bloomington, Minnesota. She is a certified peer recovery specialist. Tiffany! Hi, Shelly. I wanted to start out. I know that you were, you grew up in North Minneapolis. Is that correct? Yes. I would love to hear about your childhood, if you. Okay, so um, we moved there when I was about three years old. And, um, you know, I kind of had two worlds that I lived in. I lived in the north side of Minneapolis, where I was predominantly the minority, and then I also was in private Catholic schools Interesting. So, where I wasn't the minority. So I not only had street smarts, but I had book smarts. So um, at a young age, at age nine, um, I had a traumatic brain injury. Oh. And I had a subdural hematoma in the front of my brain. And uh, I ended up having like 40 seizures uh, over a seven day period. And um, I got rushed into the hospital because I had a seizure at the neurologist's office. And I ended up, um, uh, they found out I had a bleed in my brain. And I put on medications and everything was supposed to be fine. And then age 11, um, I was roller skating at my grandparents' roller rink. And I fell and hit my head in the exact same spot again. And had another bleed in my brain in the exact same spot. Um I immediately, uh, it was like a, a, my brain was short circuiting, but with my senses and, uh-huh. um, I ended up not being able to hear and then speak or do any of that. And my grandpa came down, rushed me to the hospital where I went into a coma <sighs> and, uh, I was in a coma for a week and they were pulling me, uh, life support when I came back. Wow. And, yeah. Pretty crazy. I know. I just got chills. <laughs> I had to learn how to walk again, talk again, eat again, um, do everything again. Um, this was right before my my year of sixth grade had started. Um, so then I ended up going to sixth grade out at the Catholic school. And then, um, you know, uh, like I said, I lived in both worlds. So um, at age 12, I actually was playing hockey and I separated my foot from my leg playing hockey and uh, that same year, I was jumped by people who I thought were my friends. I was jumped by eight people. And um, I was jumped in the basement of a house that I was uh, babysat in my whole life. And um, ended up saying I was going to have a seizure. This was after my brain, my second brain injury. Uh-huh. And I flew up the stairs. I ran down the street bloody, came to my house. And yeah, so um, I walked around with the knife after that. My drug use started at age 11. Um, 11. Okay. 11. Yeah. I, I was a pothead. I was sampling alcohol. Um, mm-hmm. You know, um, age 12, full blown pothead. Mm-hmm. And um, was until I was 39 years old. <laughs> smoking pot. Yeah. Smoking pot. But, mm-hmm. um, you know, age 13, 14, 15, I was starting to drink uh, whenever I could. 
and uh ended up um that whole that whole time being in and out of my home um in uh the bridge for runaway youth i ran away there about eight times but yeah um life at home was pretty hard my parents like hated each other um Mm -hmm. and so it was always about money um Mm -hmm. all of that we were the poor kids at the private school you know so not only did i get teased there but you know i didn't really couldn't go to my parents or anything like that and my youth was pretty 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 hard uh i was um raped at age 15 and i lost my virginity to a guy who raped me and um you know that just continued continued my drug use um it just got worse after that and i was just doing whatever i could get my hands on um to numb out the pain yeah to numb it out to numb it out also just all the trauma with the head injuries and the seizures that alone right there and then the components of the family and yeah and then um you know i came and i was bounced around from school to school to school to school so um i never really got to make any steady friends so i was always the new kid trying to fit in you know what i mean and um i was different because of the brain injuries i have severe acquired combined type adhd um from the brain injuries and they didn't find out till i was like 30 nine years or 38 years old that um i had tbi induced sleep apnea since i was 11 years old so i stopped breathing 200 times a night since i was 11 years old so um that's a miracle within itself (laughs) right i've I've made it through that you know and uh so yeah um I never was sleeping, so I was exhausted all the time, and I was I had um, neuro fatigue, which was undiagnosed the majority of my life. Which means that, like, because of the dead spots in my brain where I bled in my brain, um, the re- they, they died. Those parts of my brain died, and so the rest of my brain has to make up for all of that. Right. And so, um, you know, I really struggled in school because I couldn't focus as long as everybody else. So, and plus the ADHD, I would bounce off the walls. So, you know, I couldn't do regular school either. And, you know, I was a very angry, hurt, sad child, (laughs) you know? Mm -hmm. So that's where a lot of my drug use came from and the wanting to fit in as well. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So did you feel that once you got into high school did the drug use really start to pick up for you yes definitely most definitely um I uh at uh it was probably age age 16 I found meth and acid Mm -hmm. and uh you know there was always people who were partying and drinking and you know smoking pot or whatever but then that's also when I found cocaine as well. Mm-hmm. And um, yeah, and and Molly. So after high school, did you mm-hmm. continue using drugs or did you take some breaks from using drugs or did it ramp up? Uh, it, it stayed the same. Um, to be quite honest with you, those years I really don't remember that much of. Uh, <laughs> um, I I got into a relationship at age 20 with a guy who turned out to be a horrible human being and but um we had sex one time and I got pregnant with your amazing uh, son (laughs) with my amazing amazing son Logan yeah Yeah. so by the time I was 21 I had a child 
and um I tried to fly right, you know, and during his pregnancy, I did quit everything just right. to let you know that yeah. I did quit everything. Um, but as soon as I could, you know, was done breastfeeding, I was back out there drinking, smoking pot, you know, not being as good of a mother as I should have been. And, you know, all the while not knowing I had the ADHD, um, not knowing that, <clears throat> you know, I had all these, you know, residual issues from this TBI. So, um, at age 22, I was prescribed Adderall and that's what really, really started this downhill decline into, um, you know, using way too much of that, um, even though I was prescribed it and, and that eventually led to when the meds would run out, me going to get methamphetamines because mm -hmm. no matter how much I was doing, I was having a hard time staying awake because of the extended amount of the sleep apnea at that point in time. Yeah. Yeah. So it sounds like, too, just what you were dealing with previously as a child mm -hmm. also kind of amplified maybe some of the wanting for drugs because your body wasn't functioning. No. Normally. And you probably you didn't know that at all. No. When I found Adderall, I thought it was my miracle drug because I was in college at the time and I was yeah. working 50 hours a re week raising a child on my own. Yeah. And, um, you know, I was like, oh, my gosh, I can go to work 50 hours a week. I can go to school and I can, you know, 20 hours a week and get my homework done. And I just thought it was this miracle drug. But then, you know, at the end of the day, I, I was taking so much. I was never sleeping as it was. So even if I was able to sleep, mm -hmm. I was still misusing it. You know what I mean? And then um, uh, when my son was about six months old, I actually fell asleep at the wheel of my car going 65 miles an hour and oh. went the opposite way on the freeway and was on my way down an embankment into a brick wall when I hit the guardrail. <gasps> yes. Yes. I was, um, uh, nobody came, no ambulance ever came. Um, my face was swollen. It looked like I had had Botox done and over my entire face. I could see my face from my, my face. <laughs> right. Um, yeah. Um, I had um, started immediately bruising from my neck down to my waist um, all over. I crashed so hard. Um, I was woken up by a Russian guy pounding on my window telling me to turn off my car before it blew up. Oh. And uh, yeah, I couldn't get out the front of the car um, because the end of my car was now in my firewall. And the back door was crushed in a whole entire foot. And I'm lucky it wasn't the front because I wouldn't have legs right now from the knee down. And my back right door was the only door I could get out of. And um, I ended up, um, he ended up pulling me out through the back of the car. And we went and sat in his car. And we waited. We called several times. No ambulance ever showed up. Finally, yeah, a state trooper showed up. And he was like, he was the state trooper had given me a break on a speeding ticket the week before. And he said, this is what you did with the opportunity that I gave you. And he said, I refused to blow. And I, instead of getting brought into the hospital, they only brought me in to draw my blood to make sure I wasn't drunk. But he said, I refused to blow. And because of that, um, I lost my license for a year. I lost my job. I wasn't able to go to school. I lost my apartment. I lost my car because there was no gap coverage. I couldn't get another vehicle. And, um, yeah, and I have severe back problems till this day. Oh, yeah, I bet. Yeah, 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 yeah. So, 
yeah, that's kind of how that went. <laughs> so, because that was a huge, all of a sudden life is going and then it's like, boom, everything gets taken away. Did you find right. yourself starting to use more after that happened? Um, I, it's hard to, I can't, it's hard to remember. Um, I probably did. I mean, I was, I was so traumatized at that point in time. Like, I'm like, what else can possibly happen to me? You know what yeah. I mean? Like, how much more can I take? Um, I think there was a suicide attempt in there. Yeah. Um, yeah, definitely a suicide attempt in there where I just kind of, kind of lost my mind, you know? Um, yeah. Um, it was, it was really, really hard. It was, it was, you know, having to rebuild up after that. But, um, you know, I was always still on the Adderall, you know, and would go to the meth after that, um, was always a pothead. Um, <clears throat> always still drank, would go out to the bars and, you know, get get drunk with people go party afterwards i i just i wasn't as good of a mom as i should have been and that's something that you know to this day i still struggle with but yeah you know like mom yeah. shame or something yeah mom yeah. shame yeah. definitely definitely yeah definitely it's hard we're it is. we you know we have we have we're not perfect we're not perfect no. humans are not perfect and I know you love your son dearly. I know that. Then okay, so then eventually, um, I came to um live with my mother, and um, that that was that went on for years. That went on for like five or six years, and um, you know, I love my mom, and her and I get along great today. Don't get me wrong, but the status of our relationship at that time mm -hmm. was not good. It was mm -hmm. not good. I mean, I was working. I had a vehicle. She had always helped me out with the vehicle stuff and everything like that. Yeah. But um, the longer I went without sleep, the worse I got mentally. Uh -huh. I mean, uh -huh. if you don't sleep, you know, your cells don't regenerate. Your brain never shuts down. Your body never does what it needs to to heal. So mm -hmm. the amount of pain I was in every day was so traumatic. It was so bad that like I would go to work as a janitor for you know eight nine hours a night and I'd come home and I wouldn't have energy to do anything else like clean up after my son or make sure that he was doing what he needed to and so you know we made her house a mess then my attitude was horrible because I was never sleeping I was on Adderall which just made me a crazy person and mm -hmm. you know um like I I I should have been a better daughter and a lot of the ways that she treated me was just a reflection of the way that I was acting, you know, mm -hmm. and um, I get to see it that way now. Today, my mom's relationship and I are great. We hung out uh, Saturday. That's or great. Friday. Yeah. Out at her camper, you know, That's like cool. yeah. I have I, she trusts me enough to tell me where her camper key is and tells me I can go down anytime I want. Go stay in the camper, you know, uh, tomorrow I'm going to help her. Um, put put up her shades, you know, fix her shades. So after her doctor's appointment, in the is morning. mom like just balling it, living the life out in a camper? Then is that her what she's doing? That's her fun time. That's what she's got it year round out there. So, so I love um, it. But, yeah, but she actually <laughs> yeah too. But yeah, but no, it's beautiful. I mean, it's breathtaking. She looks right over the whole entire lake. Oh, it's. It's so amazing. Yeah. It's a truly serene place to go, you know. That's so, amazing. Yeah. It is. It is. It is. So, yeah. So, that time living with mom, that was like mm -hmm. mid-20s, right? Uh, Yeah, probably like 
in the late 20s. I bounced around for a while after uh -huh. the car crashed. And then like 25, I want to say to like 31, I lived there. And then um, I ended up, she bought a camper and I ended up living in a camper for like three years down by the river in Shakopee with my son. And wow. yeah, yeah, we lived there year round. And that's when my, my, my drinking really went up, um, you know, was um, I was right by the bars. So I, I could just walk home, no problem. And uh, I said, right. you worry about driving. Yeah, right, right. And so I would always be getting drunk down there, always be, you know, smoking pot. But, you know, I was also a pot dealer, too. So that's how I kind of got my weed for free. Right. But that's how I also supported my methamphetamine habit when, um, excuse me, when um, when I started really ramping up with that and, uh, and no amount of meds would help, um, you know, so. But that was pretty cool. But then after the camper, they sold the lot there. We weren't able, I wasn't able to be there anymore. And I moved to her house for a little while again. And then things just weren't working out at all. So, um, and then my son had gotten taken from me um, because of everything. Mm -hmm. And that's kind of just when I went off the rails and, and became homeless. And um, at about 36, I became homeless and was homeless for about, year and a half i was just camping on people's couches i whole time was trying to get my son back trying to find housing and um, i ended up seeing some people out in brooklyn park and uh that was definitely when my use was the absolute worst um i was beginning to pick my face apart started from the mess yeah from uh -huh. yeah uh-huh pulling my hair out one by one because I hated myself so much and it was the only way I could like, I was self, self-harming. Uh -huh, self-harm. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Yeah. 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 And this was 36, right? 35, 36. 30, yeah. 35, 36. Yeah. Okay. So this, this is like the, where you really peaked with the drug use and the yeah. death. Yep. How yep. long did that keep going? For two, for until I was 38. 38. Until I was 38. And it had gotten so bad that I wasn't leaving the house anymore except to get cat food. I never was eating. I'd be up for five to seven days at a time. Um, and like, no matter how much I used, no matter, it just got to a point where I couldn't function at all. I couldn't move. I couldn't get up. The only thing I was doing was picking my face or pulling my hair out of my head. And by the end of that, <clears throat> I had pulled every hair out of my head. I was bald and I was wearing wigs and wow. my mouth. Yeah. My mouth was moving uncontrollably like uh, without my permission. Uh -huh. Yeah. Uh -huh. Yeah. That continued on for, it still happens every once in a while, but that continued on for about 15 months after I was clean off of meth. Yeah. The, the mouth moving or also the, the mouth moving. Yeah. Okay. The mouth moving. Yep. People thought I was high, even though I wasn't. And I had to explain to people when they'd look at me funny. Mm -hmm. This is residual effects of my years and years and years of drug use you know, and yeah. being on methamphetamine. So, yeah. So, yeah. Yeah. Yep. And then um, uh, what happened towards the end there was <clears throat> I had embarrassed my son at school on his 18th birthday. And I had brought in balloons and everything and the balloons got stuck in the ceiling fan in the room where I was setting up everything. And I come in, he comes in and 
I'm standing on the table trying to get the balloons out of the fan and and he's super embarrassed and um that was the day where I was like okay um you know the next day I had used again of course I said I wouldn't do it but then that day I was triggered so yeah so exhausted and so ashamed and everything and I was in the mirror picking my face again and Mm -hmm. pulling out my hair and I just I just came out in the living room got on my hands and knees and I asked God to deliver me from it and um what ended up happening is the first thing that came into my head was put yourself into a Benadryl coma and that's what I did for five days I kept every time I'd wake up to go pee I'd grab water I'd slam another four or five Benadryl and I'd knock myself back out so I didn't have to deal with all the withdrawals. Withdrawals. Uh, yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Because not only is it the physical withdrawals, but it's the mental, mental. withdrawals. Mm-hmm. What people don't understand is when you use methamphetamines, you exert the dopamine levels in your brain a thousand times what they normally are. Wow. So when you're exerting that level for that long and you go, you go without, you're going a thousand times negative with your mood regulating neurotransmitter dopamine in your brain and you get suicidal. So, mm-hmm. and the thought of all the, everything going through your head at the time is just so much that you, you, you will go back out and use just to not feel the way that you're feeling mentally. And so, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. At the end of the five days, I came out of it and I had the people I used to use with uh, knocking on my door, trying to weigh up an ounce of meth in my apartment. And I just sat on my couch and I just had my knees huddled like this. And I just, just be quiet. Just don't, don't, they kept knocking and knocking and finally they went away and then they showed up again the next day. They showed up again the next day. And, um, I just sat on my couch and I didn't answer my door. And, you know, that's how I got delivered for my methamphetamine um, addiction. That was uh, 31 months ago. Yeah. Wow. Yes. So you pulled yourself off. Yeah. Yeah. By doing that. And you, that was the last time that you did it after you did that five day. Yep. Self detox. Yep. That's incredible. Congratulations. (laughs) It's hard. Fucking hard. Thank you. I want to hear about your road to recovery and how that's been for you. So I had a lot of big emotions um, coming off of of the methamphetamines. Mm -hmm. Um, Those dopamine levels, they don't normally go back to normal for about a year. So um, we call it dealing with the the wake of our wreckage. You know what I mean? And Mm -hmm. I I had loved a long, long trail of it. Um, You know, the sexual crap I did when I was you know to get drugs yeah yeah no not to get drugs I never did anything for that but but yeah I was just very promiscuous when I right 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 Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Right. but I I never had sex for drugs or anything like that you know I thought I was a better addict because I didn't have to do that you know what I mean (laughs) right 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 right. yeah but you know even in my youth I didn't steal from people um if I didn't have it I just didn't have it like so what started out with me being tired all the time, it turned it and it turned into an addiction to being functional because I couldn't function. I couldn't wake up without it, you know, and um, otherwise I just wouldn't get out of bed all day. And so that was a lot to deal with. So even coming out of the addiction off of the meth, I was still so absolutely exhausted. I couldn't mm-hmm. keep awake. I was falling out everywhere. 
So I had gone into my doctor and he said, well, why don't we get you a sleep study? And so he got me a sleep study and it, it was like two hours. And he's like, we can stop this right now. You stop breathing 200 times in eight hours. And you've had sleep apnea. And he said, did you by any chance have any traumatic brain injuries? And I said, yeah, when I was 11 years old, and he goes, yeah, it's really bad. Um, he's like, I think that you probably had it since you were 11 years old. And I went and looked into it and there's um, sleep apnea induced TBI or TBI sleep induced sleep apnea. So, um, you know, once I started getting rest, I think I slept for like the first month you know? Yeah. Yeah. So I'd had a subsidy, thank God for that. And I was able to function well enough for, plus I had a worker, you know, I had a worker through the County for mental health stuff because Mm -hmm. I've been dealing with so much. I had just gotten my son back and, um, you know, there was, there was a long road ahead. So, um, eventually in the beginning, my recovery started with dealing with my mental health and, Mm -hmm. I had to delve into my spirituality to figure out even who I was in those regards and who I could go to when I was struggling. And so, you know, I got myself a therapist. I went and I, um, I started having a binge eating disorder because I didn't know how to handle all these emotions. Mm -hmm. I would eat three, four hours a night. I would, I would eat as much as I could. Then I'd feel guilty and I'd go throw up. Then I'd eat and then I'd throw up and then I'd eat. and And this would go on for hours. And, um, at the time, I didn't know that I was pre-diabetic. And even though I was like 120 pounds soaking wet when this began, um, eventually it got so bad over seven months that I got up to 236 pounds. And the binge eating um, at, at night? Yep. Yep. Binge eating really bad. And um, because I didn't know how to handle everything I was feeling. And, mm-hmm. and so eating was the only way that I would feel better until it would make me feel guilty. And then, mm-hmm. you know, so it's just like this vicious, vicious cycle. And so... Um, I got into DBT, but I also looked into self-limiting beliefs. Um, I, that was a huge part of my life at the time was I had all these horrible thoughts about myself that I had let other people in, in throughout my lifetime, their judgments upon me became my own judgments upon myself. Right. And so I had to be mindful and listen to myself all day in my head, the things that was saying to me. And what I ended up doing was I'd hear those negative thoughts and I'd reinforce them with three positive ones. Oh, yeah. And I, and I do that and I, and I would listen, I'd listen to my head and eventually the negatives started going away. So it was almost all positive. And even, even today, I still am mindful of my thoughts because, you know, yes, we, we think the worst of ourselves and we can be the hardest on ourselves. Mm -hmm. And so. You know, and when I hear somebody else say something like, oh, I'm stupid or no, you're not. I want to hear you say three positive things. And now, you know, I can help other addicts in early recovery now that are having those thoughts about themselves, you know, reshape and reform the way that they think about themselves and and bring themselves to a positive way of thinking, because that is so important. You know, yeah. When you're in active addiction, you live in anxiety and worry and fear like all the time. Am I going to get robbed? Is somebody going to, am I going to, you know, all those Mm -hmm. things. And Mm -hmm. so for me, that was really, really a big part of my initial road to recovery. Um, I did still smoke pot for the next seven months. And so, yeah, um, uh, I just woke up one day and, you know, my higher power had taken that from me. I woke up one day, I got stoned and I said, this this doesn't do shit for me anymore. Why am I even doing this? 
And um, I'd gotten to the point where I wasn't drinking anymore or doing anything like that. So I just gave up the pot and um, ended up being completely sober. And um, I had reached out to somebody that I had seen online who was talking about sobriety. And I said, you know, can you take me to a meeting? And I didn't have a car at the time. Mm-hmm. And I had just gotten my license back, but I couldn't afford a car. And um, he had, um, by the grace of God, taken me to my first Narcotics Anonymous meeting. And immediately I walked in and people hugged me. They hugged me. Aww. And I hadn't been hugged, I couldn't tell you in how long. And, and you know, so when they hug you and you just break down crying. Yeah. And, you, you know, you're like, oh, my God is this a cult what is going on here you know what I mean but then but then I got in those rooms and I had purpose and I had people who understood mm-hmm. what I had been through because they had all been through it themselves right and to hear these the first night I walked in these guys were getting both 18 months apiece who are both now my friends and you know watching them so excited for life and how happy they were and then you hear their stories about how it all started and where it started and it's like oh man that's my story too you know and yeah. it's just it's such it was it was the that was my higher power pushing me to where I needed to go and you know people gave me rides when I couldn't get there and then I I later got to, became that person who got to give everybody rides you know yeah. that, uh, I did and eventually, you know, with therapy and everything else, I, I started learning about boundaries and yes. no is a full and complete sentence. And heck yeah, <laughs> I have a bleeding heart and I guess you do everyone and be trying to pour from an empty cup. Right. So that is one of the amazing things that I have learned along the way is that I have to be, I have to do my self care. And I've never, never had had a regimen of self-care because when I was in active use, I never showered. I didn't brush my teeth. I, I didn't care at all. Like I just, I had lost all joy for life. And so, you know, when I come back today and I get to tell you, I was out kayaking down the blue, blue earth river and I got to go see this triple waterfall place and devil's gorge thing and just get to be hanging out kayaking on the river with my friends today and spending you know the weekend out in waterville in a camper just hanging out got to go to a recovery meeting last night where the most recovery i saw was 47 years that's amazing yeah and one person that's amazing there were eight people over 40 years that were celebrating so cool that is so amazing when you get to see that this room full of big people you know and i'm just truly blessed to get to live the life i live today um you know i i truly am and you made that decision and you're like you did it and you're thriving in life and tiffany you're such a beautiful spirited person like you do have this like, huge, generous heart and you're just very like welcoming to everyone. And that's what I've always loved about you. That's why I'm like, I have to reach out to Tiffany. <laughs> you know, she just brings so yeah. much joy. And I love seeing you roller skating all the time. And like, just <laughs> have you, so it sounds like, cause I do see all of these videos of you roller skating. Is that something that's yeah. been a part of your, your grandparents? Like, yes, I, I yeah. didn't know that. 
Yeah. My grandparents owned a roller rink. So I've been on skates since roller skates since I pretty much walk. So um, roller skating in the beginning, that was a huge part of my recovery as well. Um, that's that was my happy place in the beginning. It's still my happy place. But yeah, um, you know that I made a lot of friends in the roller skating world. And they all supported my recovery and they never made me feel bad for the mouth moving or any of that or yeah, not being able to get someplace. They'd always come pick me up. And I made so many friends there that like when I show up, it's just it's family. I'm family, you know, and it is it is. And I haven't been able to be back roller skinning since my ligament reconstruction. They've been yeah. putting it up, but which I understand they don't want me to hurt myself. So, yeah, you know. But been doing the physical therapy, so hopefully I'll be back out there soon. I miss my family. I miss my yeah. family. Oh, well, one last thing that I wanted to ask you. Yeah. What keeps you inspired to stay sober and to continue this healthy, you know, vibrant lifestyle that you're living now? So what I'm addicted to now is growth. That's truly what I'm addicted to is how can I evolve spiritually? How can I evolve? as a person, how can I help others? So a huge part of my everyday life is I'm a certified peer recovery specialist. And um, what I do is I help other people who are in early recovery through, through about, you know, mid recovery there within their first year, I help them all the, all the troubles, all the problems I went through um, dealing with the medical insurance, learning how to navigate, finding housing, um, learning how to, um, get food for themselves when they have no money to start with, getting food benefits, um, helping them get jobs back, get their license back, all these things that I had to navigate and learn to do for myself. My hardships get to become a benefit for others. And so the job I do every day helps people that are in recovery, early recovery and treatment centers get their lives back on track. So for me, you know, I've, I've helped people get jobs i've helped um i had one client who um i was there while she got her foot amputated part of her foot amputated and i've walked that journey with her while she was in the hospital for five months and you know um i i don't make a shit ton of money excuse my language i hope that was okay you can swear on here it's totally fine (laughs) (laughs) Uh, i don't make a lot of money but you know it's not I, i make enough to get by and do the things that i love yeah, but it's truly the day to day seeing people's light come on and seeing, yeah, you know, taking people to recovery meetings, taking them out on my kayaks and oh. have learned that they can have fun without having drug or, drugs or alcohol in their system. Mm-hmm. Taking them to like AA gratitude night and getting these young kids who normally needed you know drugs or alcohol to get out on the dance floor, smiling and dancing yeah. and having of their lives and I just love showing people how to have fun in recovery and I'm constantly putting out things of fun things to do for people because you know it's so important to learn that there is life after drugs and alcohol it's, yes it, it my life began when I quit those things and that's yes. what I have come to realize my life is the best it has ever been and I am so grateful every day that I get to wake up today, first and foremost, second of all, that I get to do it sober. And the third is that I get to help others down this path and hopefully find the great life that I have found. That's amazing. Uh, 
Tiffany, yes. thank you so much for coming thank on, sharing, being vulnerable, and being freaking inspiring. Thanks, babe. <laughs> thank you so much. You know I love you. Thank you.